District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning to the podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to do a brief reading of some reviews we received. This comes from one of our recent guests, Natalie Strong of Elegant and Arm, and here is what she said. Knowledgeable host. Great podcast covering topics such as the outdoors, conservation, Second Amendment, and public policy. Gabriella is a sharp post who speaks knowledgeably on a variety of topics. I learn something new every time I hear an episode. And wasn't she a joy to listen to? Thank you, Natalie, so much for the kind words. And if you haven't left your reviews yet, go remedy that today. I'd be greatly appreciative of that, and it helps us get more notice. I know it's not really a measurable impact, but it really does go a long way, and I would be honored to have your review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. The interview you all are here for is my exclusive with Washington Free Beacon reporter Matthew Foldy, who, believe it or not, has only been formally a reporter for about six months, and he's had these impressive scoops. And he has worked in politics. We have a lot of overlap and mutual friends, and I really wanted him to come on and talk about this scandal that is brewing involving the energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, formerly of Michigan as their governor, and just the cover that the Biden administration is running for this company, which she had a lot of holdings in, which she even had some stocks in, and the problems that are brewing with it. And if you guys remember Solyndra, the green bailout that happened under the Obama administration, this is almost of that vein. Really conflicting stuff. If you're not paying attention, that's why we're bringing on Matthew to talk about this and why you should care and why government officials should be held to account and kind of the holes in the Biden administration's clean energy agenda. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Matthew Foldy. We're going to try to have him on as a regular. So let me know what you think and if you'd like to hear more from him. I'm thrilled to be joined by Matthew Foldy of the Washington Free Beacon to talk about a story that is sadly getting overlooked by many in the media. He recently went on Fox News Channel, specifically Tucker Carlson's show, to discuss this story. He's been chronicling it for the last few months, and I think my listeners, all of you tuning in, are going to find it very interesting and informative, especially if you care about how government uses your money, if you care about conflicts of interest and energy policy. So, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me here. It is a pleasure and an honor to join you today. Talk about a little bit of your reporting work. What led you to cover the story? Do you have an interest in the energy beat or you just noticed that no one was covering this and this is something you were just going to cling on to and, and pursue? It's a little bit of both. I had no idea what was going to come of the story when I first started looking into this. <clears throat> really, when I became a journalist in January, I was looking at a bunch of financial disclosures of Biden cabinet officials. No, not not Granholm in particular, which is who we'll probably spend a lot of this talking about, but uh, Proterra stuck out to me because of its potential for doing business in China. So I was looking at a bunch of different story angles that I haven't actually published yet, but I didn't write anything about it until April. So something I've learned in my six months of doing a of being a journalist is it just because you don't publish a story one on some particular day doesn't mean you won't revisit it later. So. This thing is in the back of my mind. And then in April, I see that Vice President Harris visited Thomas Built Buses, which is a company in North Carolina. 
And uh, right on its website, it blares that it is one of Proterra's largest partners. So all of a sudden, I sort of remembered, oh, well, Granholm is connected to Proterra. I don't think I remember seeing her sell the stock. I've been looking at her financial disclosures, and she's been periodically offloading lots of different stocks that she owns, but I didn't remember seeing Proterra. You know, she had a bunch of stocks, very common. Proterra was not yet a public company, but she had a ton of shares in it, and she hadn't offloaded. And we've known this whole time that Proterra was scheduled to go public in the first half of 2021, which it did. It ultimately did in uh, June of this year. So I thought, that's that's interesting. All right, well, let, let me write something up on this. <clears throat> it was a little bit convoluted. It was, you know, Kamala Harris is visiting a partner of a company that the Secretary of Energy owns a lot of shares in. So I wrote this up and we didn't publish it that day. And then the next day or two days later, Biden himself in a sort of hold my beer moment says, I'm just going to visit Proterra itself, uh, albeit he does it virtually. But he and Brian Deese from the White House tour Proterra as, and at that point is when I confirmed that Granholm continued to own between one and $5 million of Proterra's private stock. It was, this was in April, the company had not yet gone public. And I thought, okay, that's a pretty glaring conflict of interest to be boosting a company that your secretary of energy owns between one and 5 million, 240,000 shares of stock. And so we wrote that and uh, there was a little bit of a pop at the time, but the admin was clearly not concerned about being about any sort of accountability because three days later, the Biden State Department has a climate leaders forum and the Proterra CEO and Jen Granholm spoke on back-to-back -back panels. So they don't even particularly care about ethics when it comes to the energy department, it seems. I've written subsequently about sort of a culture of disregard for ethics in Biden's energy department. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that Republicans are in the minority in both houses of Congress, and there's very little they can do to push for accountability besides, at the moment, sending a bunch of uh, IG inspector general reports that I've also been covering as members of the Hill start uh, releasing those to inspectors general of various agencies in the Biden administration. So that's a quick overview of how I got here. I had no idea that, you know, this would be the story to get me on Tucker Carlson <laughs> or that I would be writing, you know, 20, probably at this point, stories about this company. But, it, you know, the CEO and its board, they continue to meet with uh, the Biden administration in addition to those meetings. Um, the founder of Proterra was on a one-on-one -on -one panel where he was asking Melissa Dalton, a DOD, I believe, assistant secretary, when the DOD is going to start dumping more money into vehicle electrification. And um, Melissa Dalton said, we already are doing that, actually. And uh, the one other thing that's crazy that I forgot about and to mention here is that in a February executive order, Biden put Granholm, the secretary of energy, in charge of the nation's electric vehicle supply chain, electric battery supply chain, all while she owned 240,000 shares of a company that brags about how it has 50% of the market share of the electric bus battery uh, market share. So yeah, that's this is all very crazy. And you're right, most people just seem to not really care too much about this, but that hasn't stopped me I uh, from, from working on this. I was at the House Republican Super PAC for the 2020 cycle, you know, no one really cared about the House in 2020 until we almost won. 
And before that, I was working for uh, the governor of Illinois. No one really cares, unfortunately, about governor's races. People sort of thought it was a foregone conclusion that we would lose. So no one really cared about that. So I like looking at a lot of stories uh, and topics that other people don't really pay too much attention to. There has to be curiosity on this issue because you see kind of like the establishment, I hate to use that term, establishment environmental reporters. And this is what led led me to start my podcast three years ago and why I bring on people like you to talk about this. But it, it seems like they don't care, unfortunately, maybe unless if it really concerns them and they're forced to cover the story, but they're not interested in exposing holes in Democrat or kind of preservationist environmentalist arguments or policies. And this kind of harkens back to Solyndra. I know some people listening are probably very young and don't remember what happened with Solyndra under the Obama administration. But if this were a Trump administration energy department engaged in this type of double dipping and this conflict of interest, oh my gosh, there would be stories through the roof. But it seems like anytime, unfortunately, there are Democrats in charge of the energy department or Department of Interior or even EPA, BLM, they kind of just get a a blind eye turned on to them, which is unfortunate because if you're supposed to be holding them accountable or at least like giving fair consideration to stories, this should be everywhere. So good for you for exposing it and and clinging onto it, an original story, because so many people just recycle different beats. But does it seem to you like Solyndra? And if, if you're familiar with Solyndra, do you think there are lots of similarities between that? Is this worse than Solyndra? So real quick point on, uh, the media that you were talking about. Yeah, One thing that's interesting that I've seen is in the the couple of times that you know the mainstream media has covered this story, um, the Biden Energy Department has sort of gone to them to dump information that I've asked them, uh, but instead they've gone to Politico, to E&E News. Um, so E&E News first reported the news in May that Granholm was going to sell her 242,000 shares of Proterra. Obviously, I've been asking about that for weeks <laughs> at the time. Then polit- they, they reported the news that she would sell. Then I believe it was Politico that reported, oh, Jennifer Granholm has offloaded 242,000 shares for a net profit of $1.6 million. What we still don't know is who purchased it from her because it was non-public at the time. She had to sell it um, before the company went public on the NASDAQ. But she made a net profit of $1.6 million. I've asked her repeatedly. I've asked her to her face uh, who who the non-public, who the non-disclosed buyer of her non-public Proterra stock is and how much she made. Um, <clears throat> I think I've asked the energy department almost 10 times who that buyer is. I expect uh, if and when they announce that information, they'll just feed it to E&E News to hide it behind a paywall and say, oh, well, we put this out here. So um, when, when they do cover this, it's very much to provide cover for the Biden administration. And uh, yeah, one of my articles about this is actually called even, quote, worse than Solyndra, end quote. Uh, And that was sort of doing a wrap up of at the time where we were with people on the Hill starting to care about Proterra and Granholm's ongoing conflicts of interest. So that was Ted Cruz describing it uh, to me. He He called this whole arrangement even worse than Solyndra. Because of the obvious cronyism, you know the the stock price at the time continued to go up and up and up. Recently, it's actually it's lost thirty three percent of its value in the past month. Um, it's probably been public for about six weeks now, and uh, yeah, I think if you look at Solyndra, I think that was, I'd say, as you and I are talking right now, that was clearly worse. Um, you know, Proterra does actually make buses. 
and we can talk about those sure. some of the problems later. Solyndra was a complete failure, and I think in hindsight, maybe, but it seemed obvious that it was going to be a failure all along. And obviously, that was one of the issues that Romney seized on in 2012 was the Obama admins corruption. But yeah, what, what's your take on uh, as you're covering this and as someone who, you know, is a veteran of the 2012 campaign cycle? What, what was your take on the Solyndra comparison? Because Cruz made it very forcefully. Yeah, just in the initial stuff I've seen from your reporting and such, I remember, <clears throat> as you noted in your article, that they gave Solyndra $535 million in loan guarantees through the stimulus package. It seems like this attachment of Proterra to the infrastructure bill is equally concerning and very problematic. And uh, I remember, yeah, shortly afterwards, I uh, just kind of completely fell apart. And then I just remember some other projects that they, the Obama administration ush- ushered in. A lot of those plants never materialized and they closed shortly after. And A lot of other companies, I think even independent of the government, there's a lot of um, faults with solar and wind as a lot of people are starting to notice. And it's not because like I'm favorable to oil and gas. I just like it a little better because it's convenient and cheaper and much cleaner than I think people believe it is. And uh, you just see kind of these companies that are propped up kind of artificially through research and development, government kind of push towards this and not really a, a market demand for it. And you see kind of these technologies being really inadequate. They're not (laughs) supplying enough energy compared to traditional sources. And they don't produce a lot of jobs, high paying jobs in particular, compared to oil and gas as well. So to me, it seems that they're pushing people into this and there's no market demand, natural demand for it. And it's a lot costlier and it seems just so ineffective. And they themselves are not abiding by these kind of clean energy standards. So yeah, there's a lot. And I think a lot of us predicted that if Biden were to be elected, we would see this push. We would see kind of a return to Solyndra with different pet projects. I never anticipated Proterra to be that. So that was good that you were able to uncover it, but kind of a repeat of the past. Uh, things are very cyclical. You notice this working in politics and working in journalism, like I have for the better part of a few years uh, more formally. So yeah, I'm not surprised. Maybe I'm a cynic, <laughs> but it's important to talk about this. And it's not because you and I are both on the right. I also think it's important for people on the other side or who may be kind of in the middle to know what exactly is happening to demand more of their government. And that's why journalists like yourself, even though you've been in it for six months, like I was telling you before, air, it's impressive what you've been able to uncover. Most veteran journalists would never touch the story because they're afraid of retribution or they're not going to be invited to cocktail parties in D.C. So kudos to you for actually covering this and, and asking for accountability from the administration. And it's unfortunate there dodging you and they're going to friendlier sources. Um, if they truly wanted to be transparent and build back better, they would be open to you and, and not hesitate to provide documents or so support material. The, the, obviously you're right. These buses cost, you know, in hundreds of thousands of dollars per bus more than uh, their sort of regular bus counterparts. Uh, but there've been a couple of interesting things as well. in the course of my reporting that I found about both the buses as they work and don't work. Um, so, for example, you know, in 2015, I reported on this last week, one of their buses just sitting in a, a factory in South Carolina blew up for reasons that are indeterminate. You know, there wasn't like a real investigation figuring out what happened. Uh, but I, I wrote about that in the context of a California story <clears throat> that I broke last week. Foothill Transit Agency, which is a, an agency that sort of like the WMATA in DC or SEPTA in Pennsylvania, 
a government transit agency, uh, Foothill Transit, it just has sort of a cooler name, uh, but it's a government agency in California. Uh, they were voting or considering voting. They didn't end up voting at all. Uh, they'll do that, it seemed like, at a later day. But they were weighing a proposal to uh, force the early fleet of their Proterra buses into early retirement. This is one of Proterra's longest customers since 2010. And to your point on uh, the Obama stimulus, Proterra and its investor materials brags about how its first bus was built with uh, stimulus money in 2009. But anyway, uh, Foothill Transit laid out a series of problems that a lot of the Proterra buses faced, including that they melt in the sun, which is a problem Jeez. if you're in California, um, last <laughs> I checked. And uh, one other thing that just stuck in my mind for obvious reasons was January 9th, 2020, quote, thermal event, unquote. Uh, the Foothill Transit Agency mistakenly told me that, or maybe mistakenly told me that it was. Um, that thermal event, which most people would normally call a fire, happened when a Proterra bus was charging overnight. Then I asked about this at the Foothill Transit Agency meeting on Friday, and I was told actually it was not due to um, a charging station and that it was something else that started in the front right of the bus, is what they told me, but I'll need some, some proof on that because now they said, one of those things that they said to me is inaccurate, obviously. Um, but it's a huge problem with the business model if you want, like the Biden admin does, to make this huge push for electric-only buses. So I've written a lot about cities that have contracted with Proterra around the country. La Crosse, Wisconsin, ordered with federal funds, uh, $1.25 million of federal, 250000 of other uh, funds. They ordered two Proterra buses in 2018. And they still have not gotten them. Both Biden and Saki confirmed that when Biden was visiting uh, La Crosse to tout his infrastructure package, he said uh, to the city, oh, yeah, I think I saw the buses that you're getting when I toured Proterra. He didn't say when I toured that facility in April and on Air Force One, Saki said, oh, yeah, you know, the president actually toured Proterra in April and he saw the buses the city will be getting. I thought at first that... Um, that meant the city was getting two more buses that were in contracts that I had not seen anywhere. And then actually I figured out, no, those are the same buses that it got, that it requested or that it purchased in 2018. Two buses, three-year wait time. And Philadelphia, similar thing. They first contracted for Proterra buses in 2016. They had a, a like a touting of them during the Philly DNC. Uh, and then they got their buses Proterra buses in 2019, almost its entire fleet, as I wrote about a couple, maybe a week ago, almost its entire Proterra fleet is in, in our in our headline, complete shambles. Um, they had pilot routes in the city. You know, these are obviously electric, electrically charged buses, and they had routes in the city that um, were as easy as possible tests for the pilot routes of the Proterra buses to take, but the batteries were insufficient, so they had to shelve this idea. In Duluth, Minnesota, they had to shelve a lot of their Proterra fleet because the brake systems were failing as they went up hills in Duluth. Also, I believe Duluth waited three years for its Proterra buses. So I think, you know, they're, they're electric vehicles and electric buses are important to be considering, but the idea that we need to prioritize these over diesel, over compressed natural gas is crazy. And actually in the Foothill Transit, um, meeting, 
they were talking about how in being forced to shelve Proterra buses, they're being they're overtaxing their compressed natural gas bus fleet. Um, so the failures of Proterra are actually now compounding into problems for the CNG buses. They also note in the report that a lot of the problems that they were talking about with Proterra buses are unique to Proterra. The CNG bus fleet does not melt in the sun, but it it starts to get overtaxed when you start having to pull uh, Proterra buses from the streets that are normally, you know, their their expectation is that those will be in normal rotation, but they're not. The first buses they got are now so inoperable. They're used for routine training purposes of bus drivers, but basically they wouldn't feel comfortable putting them out on the streets. Um, and then they ultimately did not determine whether or not they should um, retire the rest of the Proterra buses that they were looking at recalling early. I think they pushed that to a later meeting. But these are serious problems that um, almost all of the almost all of these problems occurred while Granholm was on the board of Proterra. She was on from 2017 until January of this year. And um, either she had no idea this happened, in which case that's very strange that the board is unaware that this happened, or she knew this happened, and yet the Biden admin continues touting this company anyway. I don't know which is worse, and I don't have an answer uh, for what she knew about Proterra and when when she knew it. It seems like she has a problem overhanging her shoulder. And if this were I don't know if you recall, the first EPA administrator was basically driven out of the post because of uh, airplane travel. And sure, that's somewhat a little bothersome, but it seems to me in the grand scheme, and also the first Interior Secretary Zinke was also similarly driven out because of flights that he made, supposed ethics violations. To me, it seems like what she's doing is a lot more problematic. And if it were a Trump administration official, people would be demanding for her to resign because this is pretty troubling to see that and just the fact that they continue to prop up this company like it's totally normal to have this. And they said there will be no smidgen of corruption. That was an Obama expression that he said, and, and they're perpetrating that as well now under the Biden administration. But to me, and I think any casual observer who sees this and sees their reluctance to address this problem, to tell her to divest further from it or for, for them to further divest from it, it really does put a hole through their argument of going completely carbon free and pushing a clean energy agenda because of just the conflicts of interest, the fact that it doesn't prove to be sustainable in the technical and even practical sense, that it's going to cost a lot of taxpayer money to probably is getting subsidized uh, through your writings. I think you've noted that as well. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't seem like people will be able to believe that they're truly for clean energy when this is faulty and traditional sources are actually coming back and helping to kind of power the country. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal about coal making a comeback globally and how people are still leaning on natural gas and traditional fuel sources because it is cheaper. They see the kind of cracks through these alternative energies and maybe down the road they can be improved upon. But right now, people are kind of hearkening back to what has worked and they see stories like this and they should see stories like this and and question the fact that the government is propping up companies, picking winners and losers. And I was talking to some oil workers last week in Pennsylvania who have been told that they have to start plugging their wells so that they can completely transition away. In Pennsylvania, they're pushing uh, different energy producers to abandon their operations. And then they want so-called clean energy companies and solar and wind to start (laughs) opening up shops. So there's a lot going on and it's important to have stories like this, uh, be told by individuals like yourself. Is there anything else about Proterra that my listeners should know about? 
something about the culture at Department of Interior or Department of Energy that they should be cognizant of. How do you think people can demand accountability of Secretary Granholm or the Biden administration? Do you think any efforts fall on deaf ears? You're trying to get FOIA requests and, and try to get them to comment, but they ignore you because they view you as kind of a combatant. You're not favorable press. That's how Democrat administrations largely treat center-right press. What is your thinking about this? And, and what do you hope to do going forward in terms of your investigation into Proterra? I'll make a broad point and then specific one on this. I was so, uh, I mean, I wasn't really shook or struck because it's so self-evident. But when I asked Granholm about this last week, um, I went to an event she was at and it was all about, it was at the launch of the summer of solar. And, um, I let the event progress and, you know, every question was incredibly favorable and I was waiting as she was walking to her electric vehicle huh. and I asked her about, um, when she's going to disclose the, the purchaser of her 240,000 shares of Proterra stock and her staff you know, was, they sprung into action like offensive linemen and, um, you know, ushered her away, said that they would answer my question. They, of course, blew past my deadline again. They asked if I'd asked the energy department about this. I said, I've asked repeatedly and have never been given an answer. So this is something I expect. For example, they'll they'll shove to E&E News. Oh, yeah, this is, this is who bought the stock. All right. Nothing to see here. But their reaction, I only got the audio. I had had the video with the crazy. Um, it was, <laughs> At least it was you were like respectful. because Democrats are so used to favorable treatment from the media. And I think they don't think that conservative reporters are actually real people. Right. I think they think we're all like Macedonian troll farmers who would never, you know, show up to a summer solar event and, and ask anything about that. So, you know, that was just sort of an anecdote to me that that just so proves the common wisdom that you should never hire a Democratic comms black. You should always hire a Republican one because Democrats have their like, you know, they will write a press release and it will lead The New York Times the next day um, effortlessly. They don't have to do anything about it because there's such a symbiosis there. So, um, yeah, to your point on the Energy Department, though, I've written a lot also about one of Granholm's top deputies, Kelly Speaks Bachman, who, um, was the head of the Energy Storage Association until this year. She was the CEO. That's a trade organization for, um, for, for also for batteries. And she has in her official government role repeatedly appeared solo on panels that are sponsored by key donors to the Energy Storage Association. So there's this one watchdog organization in particular, Protect the Public's Trust, that's been doing amazing work on her, on Granholm, on um, really almost any Biden appointee nominee you can think of. They've done stuff on those two. They've done Tommy Bedreau. They've done Elizabeth Klein. I mean, they really are far ranging. But anyway, they they submitted a request to the uh, Department of Energy for more documents about Kelly Speaks Bachman's role and appearing with donors of the organization she helmed until earlier this year. Now. It's less bad than the Granholm one because Speaks Bachman does not have, as far as has been disclosed, any current monetary investment in the Energy Storage Association at all. But it's still going back to your point that you were making about picking winners and losers. She goes to their events and she even said, um, she, the Washtenaw group called it Freudian slips of how much she was referring to the ESA um, 
and its agenda, which basically she's in charge of implementing um, over at the Department of Interior, Nada Culver, uh, the acting head of the Bureau of Land Management, um, was working at the Audubon Society for a long time. She's now just in charge of implementing directly the Audubon Society's uh, agenda, especially when it comes to shutting down gas in Alaska. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit crazy. Um, you know, obviously, this is a Republican admin, especially if this had been the Trump admin, people would actually know about this. You know, Nada Culver, Kelly Speaks Bachman would be uh, household names, thanks to Rachel Maddow yelling about them all the time. Obviously, that's not the case. Nobody knows who these people are that I write about. But The Hill has started to at least do a bit more. When I'm writing about these people, I can usually get some good quotes from members of Congress. And uh, usually it'll ultimately lead to um, some sort of congressional action of, in terms of inspector general requests and whatnot. I think what The Hill seems to be doing is laying a trail of breadcrumbs that it can follow for when uh, the Republicans presumably take the House next year. I think that's obviously the conventional wisdom and potentially uh, take the Senate as well. So to me, I just think it's crazy how little the Biden admin is um, concerned about these IG reports. You know, during the four years of the Trump admin, the inspectors general were made stars. Everyone mm -hmm. would read all these inspector general reports because these are thrilling blockbuster novels. Uh, not as much anymore. Um, I think just because generally people are taking less of an interest in politics now. Um, but that's let the Biden admin put absolutely insane um, people in high levels of cabinet, including people who who people have heard of, as well as people who are totally unknown um, to the American public because people aren't paying attention to who, you know, Vanita Gupta is at DOJ, to who Nada Culver is. I mean, people paying a bit of attention now to Tracy Stone Manning, who would right. take over for Nada Culver. But I mean, still compare the eco-terrorism of Tracy Stone Manning <laughs> to just a random scandal, you know, manufactured scandal of a Trump admin, uh, cabinet secretary. And of course it's night and day. People just don't care. And that allows, you know, potential eco-terrorist to helm the Department of Interior. I, I mean, it's it's totally insane, but the Biden admin is is very cagey and very smart in knowing that no one actually cares about who any cabinet secretary is other than like the secretary of state. You know, no one even knows that we have a department of, I don't know, department of interior department of, mm -hmm. of health and human services. No, no one knows who these people are. So we might as well put, I mean, Xavier Becerra at HHS, this guy knows nothing about health or human services, right. no qualifications whatsoever. And he's running the department now. Yeah. I recall, I mean, the, the Bureau of land management, that's always been a controversial position to fill both Democrat and Republican administrations have had very difficult times putting people into that position. There was one guy at the towards the end of the second Obama term who was there for like four or five years, three, four years. Uh, they had trouble filling one person, individuals under the Trump administration. And William Penley Perry was pretty controversial in the eyes of leftists and a little bit in Republican circles. I was kind of mixed on him, um, but he didn't sell away land as people were reporting, as many people were reporting. So I think a lot of the portrayals were mischaracterized, um, although her, his past earlier works were kind of an alarm to, to some in the conservation community, but he didn't sell off any tracts of land. But yeah, Stone Manning's credentials and her past statements, I was holding off on covering that story on my podcast and I did a few episodes ago. 
but it was just alarming. And it prompted all 10 Republicans on the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee to issue a really strong condemnation of her pick. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, now it's appropriate to report on this because it's not just hearsay or paranoia. It's even moderate members of the Republican Party on this committee who are saying, She's unqualified and she would detract from the mission statement of BLM. So, yeah, it's not sexy, especially because everyone's like, well, Democrats are doing great on the environment. They're perfect and there's no blemishes. It's awesome. And you look at the people like like you said, they they install these people who no one know about. And many of them are not conservationists. I've highlighted that very clearly. They're preservationists and they're not really taking into account kind of the conservationist hunters, anglers, and others who help pay large sums of the conservation fees, especially those who buy guns and ammo. That's largely where conservation funding comes from. And they're excluding them from discussions on all different issues about land use, water issues. They want to put back WOTUS rules, so many different things. And it's frustrating for people to listen. They don't want to talk about this. They want to respond to something that's different. I mean, it's amazing that your story got national coverage because apart from, let's say, figureheads, no one talks about uh, different directors or director appointees, unless if it's like something that can potentially go national. But you're right. There are so many people underneath the cabinet secretaries who may be even more troubling than them. And that says a lot because, yeah, I'm I'm kind of miffed about Halland. Um, I, I think she's a little too progressive for the position Maybe she'll moderate some of her views. I've yet to see that, but some people they have are not as bad as reported. Some people are worse from what I've heard. So yeah, it, it goes to show it will certainly tilt a certain way, but it, it is important to cover them and, and the Department of Energy. So Matthew, where could people follow your work? Where can they learn more about Proterra? Drop the social media links. Where, where can everyone follow you and connect with you? Um, yeah, we can talk more about all of those other things at a later episode. <laughs> I have many sure. thoughts on, on how horrible the Biden cabinet's uh, <laughs> fix have been. I mean, Holland is, is horrible. Uh, Tommy Bedreau at Interior is like one of the most conflicted people I have seen in this cabinet, and no one knows who he is. But I, I, let me just say before that, you know, I would I would say to you and to any any journalist listeners you have that just because uh, no one else is talking about it doesn't mean you shouldn't. Um, you know, as we were talking about this, no one was talking about Proterra, um, you know, really until Tucker Carlson wanted to talk about it. Um, but it's, you know, it's not really a chicken or the egg thing. A lot of times you need reporting to be done before um, someone will do anything about it. So, you know, with Stone Manning, I would say, you know, in hindsight, cover that before the time Republican senators are. The only reason I didn't I, I, I had been following her for a long time, but I've been following, but I've been writing about Nada Culver, but Stone Manning was someone I'd been following. And I was sort of shocked that, you know, it's sort of gotten any level of traction. Um, you know, who cares about these things, but you know, you never know which, which battle the Hill will choose to pick, but, um, you know, the stories about her, a lot of which were broken in the daily caller about her basically population control advocacy, uh, in grad school then her eco-terrorism, um, I guess made it an unignorable thing for Capitol Hill, but, um, yeah, you never know what people will care about. And I always write things without really, um, too much regard for if people will care about them, if I think they're important, that's important. Because, yeah. You know, I want to write about them. Uh, we're very non-click driven at the beacon, which is really, a uh, an exception obviously in journalism, but yeah, I think, you know, for any, any journalist, especially one like you, who, you know, you hear your own boss here, make people care about it, you know, write, write something so good. It can't be ignored. Um, and if the first time it didn't pop, do it again, you know, if it's something, it's, if it's something important, 
there's no way there's only one angle you can take on it. And uh, we didn't even talk about how a lot of the Democrats, a lot of the Democrats top donors, and Al Gore, you know, are some of the longest investors in Proterra. He yep. first invested, led a $55 million fundraising round for it in 2017. That doesn't JD shock Pritzker, me. The governor of Illinois, his family is heavily invested in almost double digit percent, I think, of Proterra. Um, so the better Proterra does, the better Democrats, mega donors do. Um, anyway, we'll, we can talk about that later. But I'll yeah. have you on, definitely. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, maybe we'll have periodic st- uh, statements and uh, segments. Look, on this. I, I think support, it's important. I support yes. the filibuster in part because I love talking. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, my name is Matthew Foldy and you can, that's, that's my at at everything. Um, so I tweet a lot of long threads about my articles and, um, and just fo- follow me there. My email is foldy at freebeacon.com. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch, but yeah, just find me there, hit me up. Let me know if anyone has any questions wants to talk Proterra. I cover a lot of things outside of Proterra and the Biden administration, but, but uh, sometimes it feels like these are some of the only things I focus on. But that's because I enjoy writing about it. I think it's really important to cover these stories that otherwise are completely um, completely missed by local news. There was a really good Philadelphia report from local news about its Proterra fleet, but I was breaking the California foothill transit thing well before I saw it, you know, in the LA Times, and this is all in the surrounding LA region. So it's important to uh, cover stories that other people don't want to do or can't do or whatever. Um, and it's been a blast joining you today on your podcast. Thank you. This has been wonderful. We're going to have you come on. Maybe we'll do like quarterly segments so you can feed my <laughs> listeners more information, maybe the latest updates. I hope Minions from the Ruthless Podcast, do check us out too. I like listening to them and I love that they've been featuring outdoor segments. They've had like the governors and other, I think what was mm-hmm. Charlie Hurt was talking about farming and having the dead guinea chicken yeah. in his pickup truck. I thought that was funny. Yeah, so, sitting in their parking lot, yeah. <laughs> so they've been really doing good. I, that's one of my favorite political podcasts. So if there are any minions listening, I hope they check this out. And I will make sure there are minions listening to our episode. Awesome. No, that's, that's great. Yeah, no, you've been wonderful. I applaud you for doing this. I think it's important. Especially because like E&E News and Politico, which actually just absorbed E&E News, a lot of these reporters, they're not really curious about holding the administration accountable unless they're forced to do it. And that's why I started this podcast, why I cover similarly natural resources as well in a slightly different capacity. I'm a little not cowardice. Uh, I don't have cowardice in doing this, but I don't have the the time to do FOIA requests and and full on-depth investigative reporting like this, like you do. You're paid to do that. I have so many different things that kind of uh, warrant my attention. But if I had the bandwidth, I totally would be doing that. But I I can cover things and, and make news a little differently speaking to people. Your work is very valuable. We're going to have you come on again periodically. And congrats on all the recent notice and keep up the good work. It's important to hold these government officials accountable. Always happy to come back anytime you need it. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds. All of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. 
Stay tuned for the next episode. Appreciate you listening.